Good morning. Thank you, Taylor, for that beautiful song. You know, I shouldn't be surprised, but I've been working on this outline for a long time, and Taylor told me what she was singing, and I read that, read the words, and it just fits in like a dovetail to what I'm going to talk about. And the other thing that never fails is, you know, I, I'm following Dean this week, and I'm watching Dean, and sure enough, a couple of the points he made are a couple that I had in my notes, too. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit works. He puts the same points on two people's heart seven days apart. Out of all those things, 66 books in the Bible, and some of his points are what I have in here, and I'm sure mine will have a different spin than Dean's, but uh, hopefully it'll, it'll be a blessing. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this Sunday morning. We thank you that so many could watch on this, uh, this broadcast. We pray for those that are sick. And we just pray now that you would just bless this word and, and let it touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I'm going to call this, To Whom I Belong. I'm going to, we're going to start out with used car lots. You know, you see them sometimes, sometimes in a seedier part of town. You'll see two or three of them lined up in a row. They have cars that are fairly new, fairly old, different colors, different models, different makes, a big mixture of everything. And salesmen there, they have a reputation in movies and TV of being, you know, a little slick, little con artist type things. Uh, and we hear stories about them rolling back the odometer to appear that the car has less miles on it than it does. Some have wear and tear. Some look good on the outside, but are lousy on the inside. Some could have a salvage title from a property damage accident. They know more about the car than you know about it when you go in to buy it. Then you'll see signs like stop and save, best value, prices reduced, easy terms, all this stuff to get you to entice you to buy these cars. So think about what's like that. Christians are like the used cars in those lots. Before salvation, we were damaged. We might look okay on the outside, but inside we had problems. And we all had a lot of mileage. In car terms, we were lemons. Like those used cars for sale. Young and old, and all kinds of colors and ages. But the one thing we had in common with those cars is we all had one previous owner. I like the way Matthew West describes this state in his song, Truth Be Told. I'm just going to read uh, one verse. It says, lie number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them never better. Lie number two, everybody's life is perfect except yours. So keep your messes and your wounds and your secrets safe 
with you behind closed doors. But truth be told, the truth is rarely told. I say, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Hey, I'm fine. But I'm not. I'm broken. And when it's out of control, I say it's under control. But it's not, and you know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it when being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no failure, no fall. There's no sin you don't already know. So let the truth be told. There's a sign on the door that says, come as you are. And that was us. We all had the same previous owner and we know who that is. And thank God we saw that sign on the door that said, come as you are. And take that free offer that Christ offers as said in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Amen. And that offer is still available until the rapture or he takes us home. And we know about that previous owner as Jesus describes in Matthew twelve thirty. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. So one who is not with Christ is with Satan. There's no, there's no third position. There's no neutrality. Can't have it both ways. And many think they are fine, as the song said, but they're not because they're not with Christ. You know, computers, they have a term called default. It's the setting that comes with the computer or the software. The default setting, when everybody is born, is basically with Satan. And you're in that default setting until we're saved. And then we are out of control of Satan and we become children of God through faith in him. I want to talk about, it's one of my favorite stories in the, in the New Testament. It's a shipwreck story written in great, great detail. You know, Paul is a prisoner with some of his friends and brothers along with a lot of prisoners. There's about 200 people on the ship. It's a Roman ship and they sail to Italy and Paul's going there to stand trial. And then the, they encounter a storm, a large storm. And it went on for days and days. And Paul, one of the prisoners, how boldly he told the Roman centurion, it's dangerous to continue. There will be loss of life as well as the ship. He didn't heed Paul's warning. And he talked to the captain and they decided to go forward. What boldness that is. A prisoner telling the captain and the centurion what to do. That's no new style for Paul. He did the same thing in jail with Silas, singing hymns, talking to the other prisoners in the jail. Being incarcerated did not stop Paul from sharing the word. Someday, people that refuse to believe God's people will regret not believing. But by then, it will be too late. So the storm hits for many, many days, and we pick it up 
in Acts 27, 20 through 26. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and the loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God who I am and who I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must, must bring a ground on some island. Actually, my version, there's a few versions of the NIV, but my version said in verse 23, Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. So they dropped anchor to ride out the storm. Some sailors attempted to get on the lifeboat secretly and escape. Paul, again, being very bold, in Acts 27, 31, he says, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So this time, the centurion learned his lesson. After Paul being right twice, they cut loose the lifeboat so that no men could, no could leave and all had to stay with the ship. Paul basically became the acting captain. He then told everybody to eat everything they could as much as they wanted. They hadn't eaten in days. And then they threw all the food overboard to lighten the load and set sail towards the sandbar they saw. They ran the ship onto the sandbar and everyone made it to land and all survived just as the Lord had promised. The soldiers were planning to kill the prisoners, but the centurion had seen the light after Paul correctly directed them twice, so he prevented the soldiers from carrying out their plan. Paul knew he had to carry out the Lord's plan exactly, not partially. And that's a lesson for us. And what boldness again by Paul to come up with this plan that the Lord dictated to him, and he spoke with complete authority. Just a side note, this story is so detailed. There was a guy I read in the commentary that he set out to disprove that and prove the Bible false. All these details about going to this island here and there and north and south. And, and as he did this, he found every step of the way was true and he became a Christian. Great story. So the key verse again, verse 23, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. What, a, what an interesting statement, to whom I belong. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. He defines who he is, who owns him, and what encompasses everything that he does. 
the Lord was with Paul throughout this and previously. He spoke to him in a vision, and the Lord spoke to Paul in many other visions. But to whom I belong, what a, what a strange choice of words. When you have something and it belongs to you, you own it. You, you can say, that's mine. The Lord owned Paul since he knocked him off that high horse on the road to Damascus. Like those used cars, and us prior to salvation, he was a lemon owned by Satan. An educated lemon, but a lemon nonetheless. He was persecuting Christians on a journey to capture some in Damascus, bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. Yet during his conversion on the road, he was suddenly under new ownership. He had a new relationship. The one he was persecuting now owned him. His new owner was Jesus Christ. So he could now say of him, to whom I belong. He wrote about this new ownership in Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Amen. And when he says slave, we know what he was a slave to. He was owned by Satan, and he was a slave to Satan. In another um, verse, Paul says, we were slaves of spiritual forces of the world, which is, we know, the devil. From that, we become a child of God and made an heir. What a, what a transformation. What a new creation. And just think about the transformation he had. He went from being a hater of Christians to one being loved by Christians and very useful for Christ. Because Jesus takes us as we are, and makes us what he wants us to be. He went from persecuting and killing Christians to living for and willing to die for the one he was previously persecuting. He went to the high priest to attain letters of approval to go capture Christians, and he carried them with him. Then later, after his conversion, he turned around to the high priest and he called him a whitewash wall. And then later, instead of those letters, he writes all the epistles in the New Testament that so many have cherished for generations and led so many people to Christ. Amen. He guarded the coats of the people that were stoning Stephen. Then later, when he stood for Christ, he was pelted with those that were against Christ. Might have been some of the same people. Amazing. He was on the top of everything on his horse on the road to Damascus. Then he was lowered in a basket from a high window to escape. Then at one point, confined in the bottom of a ship with other prisoners as they sailed to Rome. His whole cause for living changed, as Taylor's beautiful song, For the Cause of Christ, explained. For this cause I live, for this cause I die. I surrender all for the cause of Christ. It's amazing how my notes are practically 
verbatim from her song. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. You, you just can't explain it. So, who would buy a vehicle knowing it was a lemon? No, none of us. And some of us have had lemons. I know some people that have had problems. When I say a lemon, if you have the same problem over and over, the manufacturer has to, or the dealer has to buy it back from you and give you your money back after several attempts to fix it. And then they turn around and sell that car again, fixed or not. I had kind of a lemon before I met Sherry. I had a Fiat, and that stands for fix it again, Tony. It was a definitely a lemon. But Christ, you can ask Sherry about that. Christ purchased all of us lemons. He knew what he was getting when he purchased us, and he purchased us with his blood on the cross. Unlike a lemon vehicle that can be returned, he doesn't return any of us for a replacement. He doesn't discard us. He knows exactly what he's getting when a person is saved. All sinners saved by grace. He keeps us in his hands. He took us as we were, took those who took advantage of his offer, and praise God, he will never in no way cast us out. That's amazing. What comfort that brings to us. The offer is explained in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is such a message for today. So many need that rest that only Christ can offer. There is no rest in our nation today. So much tension. And now we got Russia and China thrown in the mix, causing havoc all over the world. Our nation is changing drastically. But praise God, Christ says, I change us not. It's turmoil around us, but Christ will never change. And that's a blessing that he gives us that peace and rest that we can get only through him. And as we purchase something, you own it. You purchase things you could use. If I go get a tool, I don't put it in the closet and say, oh, nice tool. You use it to do something with it. It has a purpose. And we all have different purposes, just as tools have different purposes. He doesn't save us just to go to heaven. He kind of demands our service. It's a commandment that we serve him. The verse says, God, to whom I belong. Some people stop right there and say, you know, I'm saved. I belong to God and that's it. But the, he continued with, to whom I serve. We're like that tool used for a purpose, not to sit by idly on the couch. That doesn't do his kingdom any good unless we're praying on the couch. Now that is useful. So the second part of the verse, to whom I serve. So Paul's a prisoner on the ship and he says, to whom I serve. 
he's still incarcerated. He doesn't say to whom I served before I was arrested and put in chains. He said to whom I serve. He continues to serve regardless of his circumstance. It's not like some of us have a retirement. Um, and when you retire, you separate from your employer and that's the end of that. But Christian service, there's no retirement. It doesn't end when there's no, you know, oh, I get my pension now. It goes on for a lifetime till the rapture or till he takes us home. And you work for the one that owns you. So let's look at just an example that Paul gives us on this voyage, how he served. We can learn from all these. At the most desperate time, just like the gospel means good news, he provided great news to his crew. God has graciously given the lives of all who sail with you. God has, always has an answer when a man is at the end of his rope if we turn our lives over to Jesus. He didn't rub it in. See, I said, I told you guys, you guys, you know, you didn't listen to me. He didn't boast or brag. He didn't say I, 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 I was right. He was very respectful. He treated them with respect. And then he said, keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. There's 260 people on the boat. He was an encourager, not a discourager. You know that some of these people were saying, we are doomed. This, we can't survive this storm. Paul said the opposite, keep up your courage. And he took no credit. He gave God the glory for every step of the way, for saving all the lives on the ship. At first, the centurion listened to the captain making the wrong decision. Paul was listening to his captain, which is Jesus Christ. So we have to ask, who was our pilot today? Who was our captain? And that is Jesus Christ. The ship's captain knew the sea and what the sea could do, but the Lord made the sea and he knew what was going to happen after the storm and what would be the end of the storm and how the ship would be taken to safety. He knows the outcome of everything. And he obeyed the Lord's plan completely. When the sailors tried to escape on the lifeboat, many would probably say, yeah, take a shot. It might be worth it. Plus, it'll lighten the load for the rest of us. But he pointed out, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. He stuck to God's plan to a T. God doesn't allow man to modify his plans. Like King Saul did, he changed the plans, you know, waiting for Samuel. He did some things like that, and he paid the penalty. God is the only method to get saved, not man's plan. And he was in constant contact through the voyage, during the voyage, and before and after the voyage, praying to the Lord. He told the crew to have faith in the Lord, even though many did not believe it. But maybe after this, many were saved. He told them exactly how it happened, and that's exactly what happened. And this part is good too. Yeah, they prayed throughout, but when it got real bad, 
They just didn't say, okay, just sit back. The Lord is going to save us. That's not what the Lord wants. When required, the crew had to throw the goods and the tackle overboard. They pitched in and helped in the work. The Lord needs those that are willing and able to do the work. He needs them to do it. The word says we are co-workers in God's service, all serving the same Lord. And any service we do for anyone other than the Lord will soon be forgotten. But service for the Lord is pleasing to him and will not be forgotten. So the other question is, we know we belong to him if we're saved. So what kind of service do we provide? We can ask ourselves, how am I serving him? I went through my, my version, and here is some of the ways that they said to, the scripture said to serve him. With all your heart and soul, your mind and strength, with humility, with all faithfulness in obedience, with fear and trembling, in holiness and righteousness, with a clear conscience and eagerly, not, oh man, do I got to do that? Eagerly. And taking this one step further, are we faithful and do are we faithful in serving him? Am I faithful? That's the, that's the third question we can ask ourselves. He's faithful in all he does, are we? And he's watching to see who is faithful. In Psalms 101, verse 6, it says, My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that those may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. So he's watching. So are we faithful? And the goal, of course, at the end of everything is to hear the Lord say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. So he wants to see us faithful, and he wants to tell us that we were faithful. And just, just in closing, in Hebrews 13, 21, it says, Equip yourself everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through jesus christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen amen let's just pray heavenly father lord we thank you for that as believers lord we do belong to you what a blessing we thank you for purchasing us with your blood on calvary we are bought and paid for with a steep price. And we do pray that we serve you and continue to serve you and be faithful until the day you come and take us again. We pray for all the people in the church. I pray for Cindy and Vince now too for comfort. And we just thank you for this first time we've had with you today that you are with us in Jesus' name. Amen.